Strikes through Quebec's Franc Commun sweep the province. Avian flu outbreaks in the Fraser Valley threaten farmers' bottom lines. Explosion at Canada's High Commission in Nigeria kills two. Former NATO employee at Canadian facility in Latvia calls out senior military official for saying her sexual assault was alleged. And top military advisor to Ukrainian army is killed by a grenade that his friend gave him for his birthday. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. Remember how yesterday I promised an avalanche of strike news? Well, here you go. Yesterday, some 420,000 workers went on strike across Quebec. They were in social services, healthcare, and education sectors. The workers plan to strike again on November 21st and November 23rd if they cannot make a deal with the government before then. November 23rd is also a day that another 65,000 teachers have voted to start an unlimited strike. The Front Commun is coordinating this massive worker action, and it's comprised of four union centrales. La CSN, le Centre de Syndicat du Québec, which is the CSQ, l'Alliance du personnel professionnel et technique de la santé et des services sociaux, which is the APTS, and the FTQ. In a report from CBC Montreal's Quabena Oduro and Sabrina Jones, they quote a vice president of the CSN, François Hénon, saying, quote, for a period of 72 consecutive hours, everything in Quebec will be closed for three days. That is, of course, if the government doesn't move in their offer. Now, because it's CBC Montreal, they write about Quebec as if Quebec is just the island of Montreal, saying that parents had quote-unquote headaches last morning, yesterday morning, because schools didn't start until 10.30 a.m. because of the strikes, and that the English school boards started at 11. Then it says that, quote, most, if not all, unquote, of the French school service centers canceled morning classes. So I'm not sure who is left if all the English and French schools started at either 11 or 12.30 and not 10.30. Anyway, I guess I shouldn't get too picky. I know that my kids went to school at 12.45 yesterday. The article features many workers who are all struggling with increased workloads and pressure that's been placed on either students or patients. There's more work. The pay has stagnated and people are expected to deal with increasingly complex issues. Like one worker, Dahlia Cassano, who often works 16-hour shifts at a hospital as a medical imaging tech. She says she practically lives at the hospital and because of the hours, she relies on the paycheck to be able to to pay for everything she needs to pay. She has no time to pick up another job if that's something that she wanted to do. There's a confusing quote from the Treasury Board President, Sonia LaBelle, who said that if employees benefit from good working conditions, quote, unions must also help reorganize the system, unquote. She said this on Twitter. That makes no sense. The government always resists the kinds of reorganization that workers want. LaBelle is annoyed that the Franc Commune has not changed its position on wage increases, even though the government has. Though, let's be clear, the government's position has changed by like the slightest, slightest amount. The two sides remain pretty far apart. The FIQ, Quebec's nursing union, will also go on strike this week, on Wednesday and on Thursday. Next, egg farms in the Fraser Valley are dealing with avian flu outbreaks. The global news story by Elizabeth Mcsheffrey and Aaron MacArthur says that the outbreak has nailed seven farms. It's also overwhelming a wildlife center where some eight birds per day are brought in who are sick with avian flu. 
The outbreaks are linked to the fact that right now is migratory season for birds, which has increased the spread of avian flu. Global quotes Mark Siemens, who's an egg farmer and president of the BC Egg Producers Association, who says that this all sucks because it costs them a lot of money. In the article, we don't get told how many birds die as a result of the infection. We are told to believe that this is really just a cost problem. And as a cost problem, the solutions are all grants from government. The article also doesn't mention the connection between industrial farming and a rise in illness like avian flu. That if we really wanted to protect the food chain, we'd slowly unwind massive industrial farms and make things smaller and safer. And really less risky for the farmer. But because these things are always reported as being unfortunate random events, we're left with the need for government to bail farmers out and build in protections from bird flu spreading too much. But I went and found a little bit of information for you, and one report from the University of Nebraska Medical School Global Center for Health Security found that avian flu posed a serious global health risk and that three things needed to be done to stop its spread, including this, quote, radical restructuring of the poultry industry to adopt smaller flocks with lower stocking densities and more robust breeds to avoid clusters of poultry farms to reduce the risk of highly pathogenic strains emerging and spreading, and changing the way pigs are farmed, as factory farm pigs can act as quote-unquote mixing vessels to create new pig, bird, and human viruses. Hey, that sounds really bad. Next, Radio-Canada is reporting that there was an explosion and a fire yesterday at Canada's High Commission in Abuja in Nigeria. The explosion and fire killed two people and sent two others to hospital. Firefighters said that a truck's load exploded near an electrical generator causing the damage. The two men who died seem to have worked for the company that ran the electric generator. According to Global Affairs Canada, there are 12 diplomats at the Nigerian High Commission and 32 local employees. It isn't known if the dead and injured were staff of the High Commission. Next to Latvia, where the survivor of a sexual assault at a Canadian facility there called out Lieutenant General Lise Bourgeon for calling the assault that she experienced a quote-unquote alleged incident. The survivor is Kristen Adams. She was sexually assaulted by a NATO soldier in December 2022. She was a civilian employee working at a canteen operated for Canadian troops in Latvia. Military police and statements from Defense Minister Bill Blair both said that there had either been a sexual assault or a sexual misconduct. Neither used the word alleged once, and they didn't call it an alleged sexual incident. The Ottawa Citizen's David Pulezi reports that the assault happened at Camp Adazi near Riga. An Albanian soldier grabbed her breast. When she filed a complaint, a vice president of the Canadian Forces Moral and Welfare Services said that she should have expected that this kind of thing might happen when she agreed to work for the Canadian military in Latvia. I doubt the vice president meant to be so honest, but yeah, I do think that assuming that sexual assault will happen around Canadian soldiers is the right assumption. But I mean, guys, come on, no one should be blamed for not assuming this or for being sexually assaulted on the job. The Moral and Welfare Services Group apologized to Adams for how they responded to her, but no one actually contacted Adams to tell her about the apology, so she was not aware of it. When Adams reported the attack to Canadian military police who were at the site in Latvia, they said that because of NATO rules, they had no jurisdiction to investigate, even though it happened at a Canadian facility. Latvian forces interviewed her and the aggressor and concluded that no criminal act had happened. Adams was then terminated from her contract two months early and paid out. She was told that this was to, quote, ensure there's no further risk to her health. 
Remember that a key plank of why Canada was ever in Ukraine in the first place has been to promote gender equality there. And finally, let's stay in Ukraine, where a close advisor to the commander-in-chief of the Ukrainian army was killed after one of his birthday gifts exploded. Now, this sounds like mysterious sabotage, but according to reports from both the Associated Press and Reuters, Major Jenna D. Chestyakov actually had a box of grenades that he was given as a birthday present. He was showing the box of grenades to his son when the explosion happened. Interior Minister Igor Klemenko said this is what happened, quote, At first, the son took the munition in his hands and began to turn the ring. Then the serviceman took the grenade away from the child and pulled the ring, causing a tragic explosion, unquote. I'd be very curious to find out who manufactured those grenades, if they were part of Western support for the war in Ukraine. But I digress. Despite the war with Russia, there have been relatively few deaths among high-ranking military officials or otherwise notable military personnel. In unrelated news, Russia has officially removed itself from the Treaty on Conventional Armed Forces in Europe. This treaty was a key post-Cold War pact that was intended to de-escalate potential conflicts between Eastern and Western Europe. The South China Morning Post says that this is a new sign of rising tensions between Russia and NATO. The treaty was negotiated and signed in 1990. Russia suspended its participation in the treaty years ago, back in 2007, and halted active participation in it in 2015. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Nora. Today is Sandy and Nora Day. So in a couple of hours, a new episode will drop. We talk about Palestine again. You're going to really, really want to listen to this one. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday. I hope it's not too snowy like uh, it was here last night, though it's turned into rain. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.
former NATO employee at Canadian facility in Latvia calls out senior military official for saying her sexual assault was alleged 